Welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. When I first heard of Kyra Hallen's Daughter of the Wildings series, which is a combination of high wizard fantasy and old-time classic western, I was immediately struck by the idea that these two genres are perfect for each other. It took me a while to figure out what the fantasy and the Western hold in common, and I realized that it's the idea of a wild place, a frontier, where civilization can neither restrict you nor oppress you. But it's also a place where outlaws and trolls run wild, and where lone heroes might venture for treasure or justice, or a little bit of both. In this series, Granadaya is a country ruled over by a mage council, who seem to be a group of entitled and powerful Victorian wizards. The Wildings is the unruled area where people who don't like magic or the rule of wizards can grow and build their own lives. It's a tough place of cattle drives and six guns, like the Old West. But also like the Old West, it has problems with grifters and criminals, in particular with rogue mages, who use magic to trick and take advantage of people. Silas Vendeen is a licensed bounty hunter, who tracks these guys down and brings them back to Granardaya for justice. He's a mage himself, but he has to keep that under wraps because the people of the Wildings are suspicious of magic. As the story begins, Silas has been tracking the signs of a rogue mage, and also odd little flashes of magic that he can't quite figure out what they are. He and his trusty horse Abinar have come deep into the west, to a little town called Bitterbush Springs. He's just considering the oddly high prices of the local boarding house when signs of trouble erupt. Excerpt from the first chapter of Beneath the Canyons, the first book of the Daughter of the Wilding series, by Kyra Halland. A crash from inside the saloon across the street caught his attention. He turned to see a big-bellied, bushy-bearded man come flying backwards through the swinging doors of the bootjack. The man landed on his back in the street and then leapt to his feet with a surprising speed for a fellow of his size. A second, much thinner man charged out of the saloon and plowed into him, knocking him down again. The two men tussled in a cloud of dust, rolling along the street until they came to a stop in front of the boarding house, the skinny man pinning the bearded man face down with a knee in the small of his back. I ever catch you blasting on my land again, I'll draw and quarter you and chop you up for dog feed, the skinny man yelled. You hear me, Gobby? In a blur of motion, Gobby twisted out from under the other man and dropped him with a blow to the jaw that sounded like an axe thunking into wood. You threatening me, Dinson? "'Cause if you're going to threaten me, you better be ready to back it up.' "'Yeah, he's threatening you,' said a man with an extravagant mustache who stood in front of the bootjack. His right hand dropped to the holster at his hip and came up holding a six-shooter aimed straight at Gobby. "'And I'll back up his threats for him.' The gun was also aimed straight at Silas. If he threw a protective shield around himself, 
it would give away his presence to any other mages who might be around. And the mage-hating plain folk of the town would notice the bullets, slowed by their passage through the shield, dropping harmlessly to the ground. So instead, Silas stepped back into the shadows of the covered wooden sidewalk in front of the rooming house and edged out of the line of fire. A handful of men burst out through the swinging door of the saloon next door, the rusty widow, to see what was going on. Gobby stood up slowly, turning to face the mustached man with the gun. He was now also holding a gun. Well, Winard, he said, you think you can beat me? I can... A gunshot exploded from the group in front of the rusty widow. Winard tumbled back against the wall of the bootjack and collapsed, blood spreading across the right shoulder of his shirt. More men came pouring out from both saloons, and wild gunfire erupted from both sides of the street. A handful of stray bullets hit the wall of the boarding house next to Silas. Holding onto his hat, he dove aside and hit the sidewalk. A wild burst of magical power panicked and uncontrolled, strong enough that he could feel it even with his shield in place, came from up the street. Granadian power, but different. Silas recognized it from the brief flares of magic that had led him to Bitterbush Springs. He started to raise his head to look for the source of the magic. Then a bullet split a board in the wall of the rooming house not one arm length above him. He pressed himself even flatter against the boards of the sidewalk as gunfire went on, praying to the defender that the unwritten law of the wildings, that it was an even worse crime to kill a horse than a man, would keep the gunfire away from the stables in Abinar. All at once the shooting stopped. What's all this, boys? A deep resonant voice called out from nearby. Now Silas raised his head. Three men lay sprawled in the street. One was writhing in pain. The other two were still. The combatants who were still standing all lowered their guns and were looking at the rusty widow. Silas turned his head to follow their gaze. A tall man with a hearty build, handsome pale face, and luxuriant black mustache was standing in front of the saloon. He wore a finely fashioned black suit and a black flat-brimmed hat and had a lace and ruffle-bedecked house lady clinging to each arm. Silas stood up, making sure his hat was still in place, and brushed dust from his long brown coat. He kept close to the wall, in the shadow of the overhang, curious about this man who had the power to stop a gunfight just by appearing. Dinson and Winard threatened me, Mr. Carden, sir, Gobby said. Me and the fellows was just defending ourselves. Go back inside, my dears, the black-suited man said to the house ladies. No need to worry yourselves. The ladies retreated into the saloon, and Carden stepped down from the wooden walkway into the street. He stopped in front of Gobby, shaking his head. Don't tell me you went into the bootjack again, Gobby, he said. You know damn well that's rancher territory. You're stupid enough to keep going in there. You deserve whatever you get. Though the words were harsh, the deep voice was genial. The crispness of the Granadian accent underlaid his informal wilding speech. When are you going to start paying us for the ore that was taken off our land, Carden? shouted Winard, the wounded man in front of the bootjack. The right side of his shirt was soaked with blood, but judging by the anger in his voice, he was a long way from dead. If you have a difference with me, Winard, I'd be happy to discuss it peacefully, Carden replied, 
with just a hint of an edge in his friendly voice and polite words. There's no need for anyone to be shooting anyone else. Two men helped Winard up. Then they and several other men who had come from the bootjack walked over to Carden and started arguing with him. Gobby and some of the men from the Rusty Widow joined in. A whip-thin, bandy-legged man with a silver sword-shaped badge of a sheriff pinned to his shirt came over as well, but he stood back and remained silent. Silas couldn't make out what the men were saying, but their argument wasn't what interested him the most in that moment. Taking care to avoid attracting attention of the angry men, he walked up the street in the direction the burst of magic had come from. On the other side of the street, in front of a shop that advertised saddlery, harnessing, and leather goods, a youth was hunkered down behind a barrel, arms wrapped around his knees. Silas crossed the street and approached the barrel. When he got close enough, he realized that what he had taken for a young teenage boy was actually a small, slender young woman wearing men's clothing. Brown canvas pants, a green plaid shirt, boots, and a straw hat with a curved brim like those favored by cowhands. A long braid of light reddish-brown hair trailed down her back from under the hat. When Silas first came to the Wildings, it had taken him a while to get used to the sight of women wearing men's clothes. In Granadaya, not even the lowliest plain peasant woman would be caught dead in pants in a man's shirt. But in the Wildings, practicality ruled all. There was men's work, and there was women's work, but mostly there was just work that needed to be done by whoever was ready, willing, and able to do it and for a lot of that work, skirts would only get in the way. The young woman had her face buried against her knees, and she was shaking badly. Silas said, I think they're done for the day. With a startled movement, she raised her head and looked up at him out of wide hazel eyes, set in a delicate face with a dusting of freckles across her nose. He guessed she was maybe 19 or 20. You okay? he asked. Slowly, she took a deep breath and seemed to relax. Yeah, she said, I'm okay. I just hate it when they start shooting like that. Does this happen often? About once a nine day or more, lately. My brother got caught in it a few months ago, shot dead right through the heart. He was just minding his own business when the damn fools come out and start shooting. I'm sorry, Silas said though the words seemed completely inadequate. The Wildings was a dangerous country. In a lot of places, every man was a law unto himself. But in a reasonably well-established town, it was unusual to have full-blown shootouts erupting every nine day. What about the sheriff? He jerked his head in the direction of the man with the silver badge, who was still standing silently by the arguing men. Huh, he just says, yes, sir, Mr. Carden, and no, Mr. Carden, and whatever you say, Mr. Carden. It's Carden running this town, and his miners causing all the trouble. Damn sheriff's no use at all. Interesting. It sounded like the typical sort of trouble that might be stirred up by a rogue mage. Was a rogue trying to interfere with Carden's mining operation? Silas generally didn't expect to find renegade mages doing honest work. They were more likely to be robbing banks, selling fake medicines, cheating respectable widows out of their inheritances and their virtue, or stealing some honest man's business out from under him, all with the illicit aid of magic. Silas let down the shield of his power just a bit and did a quick, discreet scan with his mage senses, 
but found no signs of any power in the area except for the girls. Then he did a more careful survey, looking for the subtle signs of shielded power, the nearly invisible seams and slight flaws in the camouflage, and still found nothing. Well, there were plenty of non-magical troublemakers in the wildings, too. You need any help? he asked the girl. No, thanks. She got to her feet, brushing the dust off her pants. She also wore a gun belt with a holstered revolver that was small enough to fit her hand. Silas was sure she knew how to use the gun, but wouldn't blame her for not wanting to get involved in a shootout. I better get on with my errands before they start shooting again, she said. She turned to look at the group of arguing men in the street. Hey, Gobby, she shouted. The bearded man looked over at her. The same thing for my pa. He ever catches you on his land again, he'll shoot you so full of holes you can piss from ten places at once. The dark, bushy beard broke into a leering smile. Miss Laney, you tell your pa for me that this land ain't owned by no one, and I'll drill wherever, whenever, and, he leered more broadly, whoever I want. Miss Laney responded with a rude gesture. Gobby went red above his beard, and the men from the bootjack laughed. One corner of Silas's mouth quirked up. She had spirit. He liked that. He offered an arm to the young woman. I'd be happy to escort you while you do your business, in case there's any more trouble. She eyed him from head to toe, her gaze lingering on the large revolver holstered at his left hip. Though firearms were considered anti-magical and therefore forbidden in Granadaya, no mage hunter would last a nine-day in the wildings without one. Silas had specially modified this piece himself. Mundane bullets alone couldn't be depended on to take down a highly skilled mage. My pa wouldn't like me going around with strange men, she said. Well then, I'm Silas Vendine. He added the usual name-slip charm as he spoke his name to make it harder to remember, though it didn't always work very well with other mages. Then he grinned at her. I may be strange, but at least now you know my name. That got a smile from her, a shy half-smile as she glanced away. All right then, Mr. Vendine, I'm Laney Banfrey. If you'll keep Gobby away from me while I do my business at Minton's, I'd be grateful. My pa's foreman should be over at the Cattleman's Co-op. He'll see me home. She took his arm, and he accompanied her next door into Minton's General Mercantile. Trouble among miners and ranchers might be nothing new, even if it is stirred up by a mage, but Silas now has an even bigger problem on his hands. The mage council does not allow untamed magic to continue. When someone like Laney shows signs of magic, Silas is required to drag her off to Granadaya to be trained and tamed by the mages there, or he must cripple her magic, which is a procedure that would leave her just a shell of a person. He can't imagine that either choice would go over well with someone like Laney. But if he were to let her go, both of them would become public enemy number one. To find out how they're going to deal with this, you're going to have to read the book. You can find Beneath the Canyons and a few other books in the series at Amazon and other online book retailers. Both ebook and paperback versions are available. Next week, I'll be reading a contemporary fantasy story of my own, The Bell Hound. 
which is about a woman who needs protection, but she doesn't want a dog and can't afford an alarm system. But a woman who claims to be a witch provides her with something that combines the best or maybe the worst qualities of each. Well, that's it for this week. The book was Beneath the Canyons by Kyra Halland, read and produced by Camille LeGuire, music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers. <laughs>